This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Well, hello, friends. I'm back in the Weather Lounge with you. I'm meteorologist Michael Prianti in for Brad Miller. We come to you from our Weatherworks headquarters here in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me, as always, is the magnificent and tornado-loving <laughs> co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. How'd I do, Mike? Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, usually Brad has some sort of quirky adjective to give me also. So I'm glad that you're <laughs> keeping up the same uh, idea as we go through here. But yeah, good to be here, Mike. And uh, I guess it's the Mike and Mike show um, <laughs> is what we're doing today. Let's rename the podcast, Mike. Let's forget the weather lounge. It's the Mike and Mike podcast. Might have How's a problem that? with ESPN radio on that one, I Probably, believe. Probably, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, man, but we have a great episode, Mike. I mean, this is probably one of the most interesting podcast episodes we've done so far this year, and I'm really excited about it. I'm sure our audience will love hearing about yeah, it too. Absolutely, that's for sure. I mean, if you're if you're a lover of weather related movies, this one's for you. And kind of along the lines of the movie classics that we've seen as in Twister and and The Perfect Storm. Um and we did actually a show about that. Um, you know, back, uh, I don't know how many episodes ago, Mike, that it, was, but it, it was, was a while, uh, yeah, but it was, it was uh, a fact, while. fact versus fiction. How accurate is the weather in the movies? So it, it's going to be interesting because that's what we're going to be kind of talking about today a lot. Exactly. And you know, that episode was great that we recorded and we talked all about, uh, you know, different weather movies across the spectrum. And now we're going to be talking about a brand new movie that just came out, Mike. Right, absolutely. And that movie is called Supercell. And today we have the director and screenwriter of that movie, uh, Herbert James Winterstern. He's with us on the program. He's done over 200 film campaigns for multiple brands like Intel and Doritos. And he also was involved with the NBC primetime drama series. So, We'll be talking with him and all about his new movie, Supercell, after this short break. Don't go away. Hey, everybody. Well, how many times have you been burned by a weather forecast? Well, probably a few, and it might have cost your business thousands. WeatherWorks is different. We have over 30 meteorologists to give you forecasts, notifications, and weather advice 24-7. Now, that could certainly help when it comes down to making those crucial decisions, but there are even more products than that in which WeatherWorks offers, from weather data to and historical reports. And we're back reports. before the break. Call us at 908-850-8600 or visit us on the web at weatherworksinc.com. Don't forget, when you think weather, He's the director and filmmaker of a brand new movie called Supercell, which is out in theaters, digital, and streaming today. Thanks so much for joining us in the Weather Lounge uh, to talk about your new movie, All About Weather, because we love weather here. Mike and Mike, thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to, to talk about the movie, but not only with anybody, with people who understand weather, weather nuts like you, weather nuts, weather nuts like me, and, and, and weather nuts that are listening in right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so glad to have you on. And I guess, first of all, uh, I know we have your full name there, but uh, what's best to call you by uh, here? You can call me Jamie. Um, it's 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 my my full name is Herbert James Winterstern, but you know, my friends and people who know me call me Jamie. 
Okay, we'll consider ourselves friends here for today. <laughs> <laughs> He's a friend of the Weather Lounge, so that's great. Yeah, I mean, hey, we want to keep it light. We want to keep it fun. So, you know, I, I like Jamie a whole lot better. So let's go with that. Um, so, Jamie, why don't you give us a little background here? Um, you know, becoming a filmmaker and producer. I mean, what made you try to go in this direction and obviously succeed? You know, I, I think when I think back to when I was a kid, uh, I would remember watching movies with my dad. I might've been seven, eight years old. My mom would put me to bed and I would hear uh, noise coming from the basement. And I always sneak in after my mom went to sleep, I would sneak downstairs. I found my dad on a couch. His hand was in popcorn. Another hand had a Diet Coke. And uh, he was watching, you know, uh, movies I remember watching with him. Remember I'm eight years old. Uh, Charlton Heston's Planet of the Apes. Um, you know, I, I even think I watched Schindler's List by age 12. So, I mean, I was watching movies far beyond my years at a very early age, but it, I just took to it. And I've always, uh, you know, my mother had a camcorder doing home videos my whole life. I was watching her do that. And eventually I took control of the camcorder and I started making my own little short home videos. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody uh, kind of had some experience with that, um, with having their parents take films. I mean, I know there's a lot of bad old home movies, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know I know you took it to a much higher level. That's for sure. Maybe maybe that's just you know, like you said, you got you got to hold that camera. You wanted to start shooting, and and there's from there it just kind of expanded, huh? Well, you know, it's it, it, that's just a starting point. And I, yeah, I feel like a lot of people, hobbyists, they get into it. But what stuck, I guess, was, I don't know, I just, I, I, I got a knack for, you know, just filming things, finding interesting angles. And then it didn't stop there. I, I enjoyed cutting the imagery together on, you know, at the time it was Final Cut, uh, before it was Avid, um, you know, Premiere now. And, and then also like cutting it to music and letting music, decipher the storytelling so you know i just kept building on the craft of i guess what it was filmmaking uh and then eventually i was able to pursue it more heavily in film school wow wow and you know like your thought you know how you actually became you know of the filmmaker and you know what actually led you to getting that inspiration reminds me of like when i started to become interested in meteorology because you know, I would always watch the Weather Channel when I was younger, and I would always, you know, sit in front of the TV screen, probably too close to the TV, which is probably why I have to wear contacts now. Um, but I was three or four years old, and at the same time, people my age were watching cartoons. I mean, I watched cartoons, but I also watched the Weather Channel probably way more than a lot of other people. So I just, it's like that one spark that got me interested. And I feel like for you, it was kind of the same thing. I, it's funny because I, just like you, would record the Weather Channel during <laughs> pretty big events. Um, I remember, and I was obsessed with weather too. I, you know, my family were from Montreal, Canada, so we would spend a lot of time like snowbirds going down to Florida. So my interaction with with I guess you would call severe weather or or you know, you know, storms in general was the lightning you'd see over the Florida ocean, and uh, you know whether it was you know filming WSVN seven, I think that's the station down there. You know, fil um, not filming, sorry, recording their newscasts of hurricane landfalls or uh, Jim Cantori standing in front of some heavy breeze. Or I, I just I was always fascinated with with you know weather events. 
Uh, I remember in 1998, we had the worst ice storm to hit Montreal. I was off school for two weeks. That was great. But I was just fascinated with how a storm could cover everything in three inches of ice. And I was able really to find a way to get two passions of mine, filmmaking and weather, and kind of combine them after 37, 38 years of life. Yeah, I mean, I remember that event. Uh, well, I don't remember it uh, from a firsthand forecasting standpoint, but I know I've seen videos on YouTube of that event and how much ice was on the trees uh, and how everything was snapping and you'd you'd hear the branches and you'd hear the you see the power lines and it was uh, an amazing storm i think that was one of the biggest ice storms that i can ever remember honestly <laughs> in my lifetime well i i will i will say that um in 1998 i was 13 years old i forget what grade that is but my mom to her credit wanted to find a way even though school i think called or blasted us that we were uh, uh, canceled. She had to try and get us to school that day. And thanks to her, uh, the drive to school, which was about a 15 minute drive, that took an hour and a half. But I got to see all of the damage that the ice did to Montreal. And uh, it just, you know, I got to experience the ice storm thanks to her trying to drive us to school that day. I mean, with you so interested in weather, I got to imagine that's what kind of made you explore this new severe weather uh, aspect of your filmmaking career um, with Supercell, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, the filmmaking journey, I mean, I like to say it's, it's, it's about failures, right? It's, you know, obviously the dream, you know, you, you, um, you see a lot of predecessors, Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, who probably is, you know, he's the Bill Gates in filmmaking. He's he's the Steve Jobs. He's a genius. He's a savant. There's no one else that's ever going to be like him. So you see someone like him, you know, direct Jaws at 27 years old. I mean, that's just not something that you you can achieve today. Um, so, you know, there, there is that pressure. You know, I'm turning 30 at the time. I'm 35, 36. I did a show for NBC at 28. And now I'm 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 directing commercials. But I always wanted to make a movie. Movie was the thing. But what I never had was a story to tell. And it wasn't until I went storm chasing in 2019 with my fiance, just for the fun and love of tornado chasing, because I've never done it before. I thought the storms in Florida were big and immaculate and the lightning was pure. But I was mistaken when I went to West Texas in April because I saw my first supercell with her and I was blown away. And at that moment, I was addicted. I, I I always, at that point, I said to myself, I'm going to go storm chasing every year because it is the most breathtaking experience to see the supercells to the naked eye. What I couldn't believe is that to the naked eye, you could see the, the structures of the cloud uh, rotating. Um, and I, you know, I had my camera with me and I was just taking photographs and filming it as a fan. I little did I know, you know, a month later when I got the idea, why haven't we seen a movie about storm chasers since 1996? Well, I'm going to go ahead and write that. That was the seed. I mean, I wish I had the chance to go storm chasing. Look, I I do it nonchalantly around my area in Pennsylvania, but that really doesn't 
lend to storm chasing very well with all the hills around and uh, trees and things like that. Where out in the plains, you have that big, you know, majestic look at the horizon and you can see the entire structure of the storm, whereas I'm just kind of getting the top of it um, when I'm looking around in my area. But I have seen supercells in the region and you you're absolutely right. You can see the structure rotating. Um, especially one time I remember specifically where I actually saw the wall cloud on the bottom and you could see how rapidly the clouds are wrapping around, uh, the base of the thunderstorm. And I was saying to myself and the tornado warnings are going out and everything. And I was safe cause that was gone long gone where I was, but I was watching the backside of it. Um, but I was so angry because I couldn't see the base all the way to the ground. So all I saw was the top structure. I couldn't see if there was any funnel from it. And I was just trying to get around the hills, but I never quite managed to. So it must have been fantastic for you, Jamie, to to, to see that entire site of the storm. I was I was very lucky, you know. So that, what, how the story goes is I'm looking, first off, I've never done it before. So I go on, I go on Google and I type in storm chasing and all these tour companies come up. And one of the first tour companies that came up is Tempest Tours. Now, Tempest Tours, they're a pretty reputable company. I think there's a few of them. And they're based out of Arlington. And I knew that the severe weather event was happening in West Texas. Now, but I, I also noticed that it was pretty pricey to go on a tour with them. I think it was around $3,000 to go on a 10-day trip. I, I didn't want to make the commitment. So, you know, I, I, I cold called them and I spoke to a lovely woman named Kim George, uh, who I guess runs customer service there. And I was very honest with her. I said, look, I, I would love to do your tour. I, I can't afford it. I am going to go down there. So do you have any advice so that I don't kill myself? And she was uh, very sweet. You know, she didn't turn me down. She said, if you're going to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, contact my husband, uh, Steve George. He's a geologist, but he has an office and he knows everything about storm chasing. So I go to this man's office when my fiance and I land in Fort Worth. And granted, the next day is the severe weather day. That's when the outlook has a enhanced warning for West Texas. Maybe it was a slight risk. I don't remember. But I, I show up to his office. I know nothing. I don't have radar scope. I don't know what the HER is or the NAM nest. And for two hours, this man Talk about Southern hospitality. He is so sweet to us. He explains not only like what the her is, he shows us a little dot on Ozona, near Ozona and Iran, Texas. He's like at 3 p.m., be here the next day. And and sure enough, the following day, I, I, I was like, I don't know what to believe. You know, this seems a little too good to be true. You can look at forecast models and they're actually that accurate. We were there and I I tell you, one of the most photogenic isolated supercells. It was beginner's luck. I witnessed, I was driving through the cap rock uh, in West Texas. And then as you know, the canyons opened up and you saw this big Vista and this atomic bomb cloud was just staring at me. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it was a Jurassic Park <laughs> moment, like going through the gates. And, and right. that was the beginning yeah. of my experience. Wow. And you know, that, that reminds me of a scene in the movie, actually. And I, I guess that's kind of where that it wasn't uh, that drew inspiration from when they're actually driving around that big kind of rock face. And then uh, I think Alec Baldwin's character is saying to look around the edge, you know, you'll, 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 you'll get it. 
you know, get your cameras ready. And they just, you just see it. And, and it's, it's crazy that, that moment, you know, you know, you don't, you don't really feel like you're in the moment until you actually see this, the structure in front of you. And that I kind of, kind of brought me like I was there in that, in that scene. I've never seen a supercell, you know, in person. I've never seen a storm like that. I've never actually seen a live tornado, unfortunately, but, uh, but that just brought me down to that, that scene, you know, it was just amazing. It was, let me tell you, I mean, it was really tough to recreate it. And it, that was, that's the tough thing is uh, there's so much inspiration by seeing it in real life. And, you know, think about producing a movie like this, especially at a low budget, uh, you really have to cobble these things together. Now, you know, to talk about kind of the, the sausage, how it was made, right? How do we recreate a moment like that, that I witnessed, you know, a year earlier, um, you know, and that's where, you gotta have, you know, you gotta kind of stitch things together, um, and you know, the canyon that we ended up shooting was uh, a canyon I drove it through in Palm Springs to get that front, uh, that front plate, and then of course um, I worked closely with Pecos Hank. I don't know if you're familiar with Pecos Hank. He's a big storm chaser YouTuber, but he was a big partner with me. He gave me his whole library of storm footage, and I was able to find a really nice wide shot of a very an isolated anvil structure you know supercell to to put inside of that canyon so you know it, it was a challenge but uh we we found a way to make it work yeah and and i think that's what made the movie really great is that uh you used a lot of actual live shots and that's something that i don't think a lot of past weather movies really used it, it was a lot more of just like kind of a lot of fake cgi and it made like the tornadoes like especially in the one of the movies uh, into the storm used a lot of fake cgi tornadoes and it just kind of looked like someone made it in front of a computer but you you see what you see in the movie is all real all, all the all the the shots of the tornado kind of making making touchdown that's all real yeah and it's interesting because it you know, the, the funny thing is, is the lack of funds that we had forced us to be more realistic. You know, you, you it's kind of, it, well, it's an excuse because if you have unlimited resources and VFX budget, right. then you, you tend to go down the route of, oh, we'll just create it with CGI. But that's, there's the problem, right? Because, and, and this is a little bit more of a philosophical conversation about filmmaking, you know, movies back in the 90s, they didn't have as much cgi they just started the advent of, of computer graphics right twister was one of the first movies to enjoy ilm's fluid motion and all that and the thing about those movies was vfx and cgi was a supplement to the story so you only got it when you needed it whereas today you watch a lot of marvel movies or you watch a lot of roland emmerich movies you know you see into the storm it's it's just over the top over uh stimulation you're it's numbing and i think with supercell it was a i i made a decision where it's like one we can't afford to go cgi so we're going to try and go as practical as possible with ritter fans that can blow 60 mile per hour uh rain machines and and dust particles and create chaos in the frame one that's real so there'll be no substitute for it and then when we do cut to the sky, well, well, I can't afford to do CGI and I don't want to. So I, I'm very lucky I meet these filmmakers. There's a ton of them. Martin Licious, who runs Tempest Tours. He's another great, great uh, storm chasing filmmaker. There's all this beautiful footage that's been captured. Use that, comp it into the backplate of these, you know, these big shots. And then you have a very authentic experience. Yeah, I mean... 
with the movie, I, I did notice that a lot where, you know, there was, you know, the physical like wind blowing by the characters. And I was thinking to myself, how did they create this? How did they create all this wind and dust and everything? And, and how did they create the big, the big hailstones hitting the van uh, of the tour uh, company there? Um, I was just curious, you know, with the cracking glass and everything like that. Um, yeah. Was, well, the hailstorm was fun. I mean, it was a little mixture. I mean, I, I will admit that VFX played a big component in that. And there there are some shots that are a little bit more heavily involved because we didn't have the time to safely break glass on set, especially with actors in the van. That's a pretty big stunt. Um, but there were a lot of elements that we shot where uh, if you, you know, there, there's these very fantastic ice cube balls that you can buy the the molds for. Before that day, we I I went to the I went and we bought like I don't know maybe two dozen of those molds and we were filling them up with water and we had a fridge uh, not too far away from set and then we we basically filled these buckets with what were two inch uh, balls of ice. Now there were there were kind of too perfectly like symmetrical and like cylinders, right? Because you know hailstones are very imperfect. But it was a mixture. Uh, I think on set during some of the wide shots, we used some styrofoam torn balls that we laid out on the grass. And then with some dry ice and some liquid nitrogen, we were able to get some hail fog going on. So it was a, it was like a mixture of techniques to, to create the illusion. I mean, it, it certainly looked very realistic um, from when I was watching the the pre-screening. I, I, I was, I was that, that part with the hailstones, I was like, there's really people getting smashed inside. This oh, well, you right reminded now. me from you what reminded I me see. actually, because yeah, there is the, where the glass uh, blows into the van. Yeah. 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 No, that was, we had rubber. The, so there's this great like safe glass. They're actually, they're not even glass. It's, it's rubber clear gelatin, like pebbles. And on action, we were able to like have them chuck all that rubber into the faces of the extras. But oh, on wow. camera, it looks like <laughs> actual glass, and then you have water and wind, and so yeah, there, there's trust me, special effects. They've been doing this since the dawn of cinema. They have all these fun, safe measures to to make it look real. Well, that's what I was thinking to myself. <laughs> there has to be a way that we're not putting these actors right. in harm's way. Um, with actual glass shards coming through the window. Um, and I was thinking to myself, uh, there's gotta be something (laughs) here. (laughs) And even with getting the actors in, in the scenes where, where they look like they're close to these, these thunderstorms, I was thinking to myself, are we really going to put a high profile actor (laughs) in this situation? Yeah. I don't know. Um, so it, it was interesting to me on, on, on how that was all. Well, listen, I, now. I'll, it, it was, um, it was a 20 day shoot, right? So that, you know, this, this was pretty a quick, a quick experience, but trust me, there, there is an alternate universe where, uh, you know, a, a movie that it comes to my mind where I think they really benefited with doing it, um, avant, like let's say avant-garde, but naturalistically where, uh, they had the actors uh, go through the Midwest Plains was No Man Land. Now, this is another movie that has nothing to do with weather, and it's probably a lot easier to have uh, you know, Francis McDermott uh, traveling with a caravan through the Midwest. 
um, you know, shooting during actual sunsets and whatnot. Um, trust, I guess this whole prelude is uh, of the story is me saying, I would have loved for Alec and Anne and Skeet to come into a van during storm season and find, and then we go chasing and then, oh, the storms are blowing, blossoming. Okay, guys, we're going to do scene 42 right now. Ready? <laughs> that would be a dream, but you can't do that. <laughs> Maybe one day down the road, we'll, we'll do something more naturalistically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, either way, I was considering you keep, you know, you said a few times that there was a quite a tight budget on the film and. But I was impressed that you had actors like Alec and 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 Anne and and stuff like that in the film. I was like, wow, this is fantastic, you know, that we have this high level or high profile actors in this Supercell Storm or film all about meteorology. I was kind of like, hey, <laughs> all right, you know, great. It, people. I think people. Everybody has a connection to weather. I, I don't care who you are or what you do. We we all relate to weather and you know i don't i don't think even if if you're alec baldwin or, or ann hache um a good story is a good story um you know for me the meteorology component uh was huge um and i know the spectacle of tornadoes is very sellable but i i my mission was to tell a personal story something about parents about my relationship to my parents what i went through losing my parent and I think that that was kind of what drew the interest of, of, of the cast. Um, and if, if I was able to achieve that type of connection, uh, then, then the movie could be that much more appreciated for the spectacles, right? That, you know, they have, that has more meaning to it. So, uh, and that's what was so good about Twister in a way, because, you know, just to think back to that film, uh, you know, of course, they had a huge budget and they had unbelievable spectacle, but the characters, right? The characters were great. And uh, again, more philosophical on filmmaking or, or, or the way the industry has gone. And I feel like we're losing touch with good stories, original stories about real people, um, you know, people that we can look up, look up to like meteorologists. Why can't we look up to meteorologists as heroes? You know, you tell me. I love that. I I mean, I don't see myself as a hero personally. I'm not, I don't have a cape and I'm not, you know, swinging into action, <laughs> saving the day. But it, it's great that you have that mentality that, you know, sometimes like the, the hardworking meteorologists, you know, who, who, who are the people that are that are warning everyone to get out of the way? You know, the National Weather Service does a great job with warnings. And we've gotten so, so, you know, more accurate, so to speak, in the past 30 years of, of, of detecting tornadoes, warning people, you know. I mean, you look back 40 years ago and the stuff that, that we now know comparatively is, 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 is pretty crazy. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it, it's amazing. When you said heroes, I, I never felt myself in, in that kind of vein either. But when you talk to some of our clients here at our company at Weatherworks, you know, a lot of times you, it's it's the little things that make the difference. So it's hey, this snow squall is going to happen that nobody really knew about, but I'm letting you know, I'm calling you a half hour before this is going to hit you so that you know about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, these guys will call back later and say, thanks so much. You know, nobody knew about this and you guys let me know that saved me so much money and grief uh, in the long run that you don't even realize. So, um, 
I guess we are heroes. That's great. Mike. I'm great. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, but Jamie, I was going to ask you um, the meteorology aspect of the film. Was that something you did a lot of research into yourself or um, did you have a team of experts to kind of get things right um, with regards to the terminology used and the, and the modeling used, uh, even some of the laptop shots? I know there was um, the Next Lab from College of DuPage, and I personally use that myself, <laughs> as do a lot of our meteorologists here at our company. Yeah, I, you know, it, it was kind of a growing uh, uh, communal experience, right? So it starts off with me chasing and making my contact and connections with Tempest Tours, uh, you know, Martin Licious, uh, Kim George, and then, you know, me attending the TESSA conference. And, and if you don't know what the TESSA conference is, it's the Texas Severe Storm Association uh, conference. They do it once every two years. It's a, a nonprofit type of deal down there. And they basically have uh, National Weather Service forecasters like uh, Roger Edwards and uh, some other pretty uh, famous uh, forecasters from the National Weather Service and NOAA. They, they come down and they speak about storm chasing. And uh, I educate myself and I took every moment as an opportunity to talk to a new professional um, Dr. Lee Orff was someone I sought out of. Uh, I sought for. Uh, I saw his crazy 3D um, models that he built uh, of supercells that hopefully will advance forecasting. I think he did one of El Reno um, through him. He's the reason I met Pecos Hank, who's uh, the big YouTuber that's been doing this for 20 years. Skip Talbot. Um, Val and Amy Castor uh, with Channel 9 in Oklahoma City. Uh, they, you know, I had them chaperone us on second unit so we'd be safe. And they, they were the ones that drove us to the storms. And I actually put a camera on their car and they became a camera vehicle <laughs> and giving us some of those pretty, pro, pro, uh, you know, prolific shots of the van driving through the planes. So it was a very, uh, communal experience. It was a, a David Hoadley. I don't know if you're, if you recognize that name, he's a famous illustrator for storm track magazine. He does all. He did all the illustrations in the seventies and eighties. Back when Storm Geeks, all they had was this magazine called Storm Track, and that was a way to like get updates on anything before the internet. So it was just a fun like Easter egg communal thing where it was it was almost like a game. It's like how realistic can I make this? How much can I involve the community to make it feel like I'm making a movie for them? That was that was it. Just turned into that. I think. Right. And I mean, I think that's the kind of hit the nail on the head there. I mean, you kind of put so much of the meteorology into this movie. I mean, there were there were times where I'm trying to think of like, because, you know, we had the episode talking about the facts and fiction of weather movies. And obviously, sometimes when you have a higher budget in a movie like Twister, sometimes, you, you know, the 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 blend between reality and fiction sometimes blends and you kind of can't really tell. But in this movie, it felt real. There were a lot of scenes that felt real. And it and if you watch like, you know, the when you're driving down down the, the highway and you see the supercell coming at you or you're trying to run away from it. These are things that real storm chasers have to deal with, you know, not getting caught in the bear's cage, so to speak. You know, these are all real things. And it, it kind of brings the movie together and it really shows how, you know, these storm chasers really react in these situations. So it really brings that out. 
Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I remember there was different, uh, uh, there were different episodes of going through the scripting process where we were a month out from shooting. And I remember I, I went back uh, to another Tessa conference with the screenplay and I, and I, I worked through the scenarios with Martin Licious and, and in act three, right? Uh, like the scenario would be, oh, what if there's a, a big weather event in southeast Nebraska and these supercells developed and then, you know, you, you, you think it's over, but then there's a second round storm that comes and, and there's this whole concept of backbuilding where it, it cycles. And, and that was something, you know, listen, I couldn't get everything right. I didn't shoot this, obviously, in southeast Nebraska. I didn't go to McCook for this. And a lot of it was shot in Montana and then wherever we could shoot it in Texas, Oklahoma. So if you look carefully, you're going to see street signs that you don't want to see. It might say like Interstate 10, and that makes no sense. Or you're, you think they're going to Nebraska, but they're exiting Texas. But um, there was, a, you know, the few moments of like having the Dorothy statue in there was exciting for me. Uh, in liberal Kansas, they have the Wizard of Oz Museum. So doing all these little callbacks were, were a lot of fun. And, and yeah, keeping it as accurate, but also, you know, still this movie is really 95% going to be for people who don't understand meteorology. Um, so it, it, I have to also be present and thinking I can't get too complicated. So it was a little bit of a balance um, of, of spoon, spoon feeding enough where I can educate a layman on meteorology while also engaging the meteorologists. No, I appreciated the from a meteorologist standpoint, I appreciated the callbacks to the certain models being used and, and, you know, talking about Cape in the one scene when they were in a motel room and about a thousand Cape, you know, usually gets you some thunderstorms, um, especially if you have something to trigger it. Um, and then if we get up to 4,000 or more or whatever it was, you know, that is a very extreme case. Um, and I, I was I was appreciative of it. It wasn't just oh you know here comes that big tornado <laughs> smash bang and and look at all this going on oh all this debris everything flying. It wasn't I, I appreciated those little nuances of the actual science that goes behind those forecasts and where you know what they're thinking and where they need to be to be in the right spot and that's what it takes to see the these storms that they really want to see um so one thing i wanted to mention um and this this goes back to the beginning of the movie kind of tying with twister i noticed there was one scene where uh the character i think bill brody's uh, son is um uh, typing on the computer looking up his father's legacy and he types in bill and for a split second bill paxton comes up in the search and i thought that was a great nod to to you know, Bill Paxton, um, you know, and 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 Twister, and just I, I thought that was really great, just for a split second. If you notice, if you if you pause the movie, uh, that was a great nod to to that. Thank you. That was intentional. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> everybody loves a little Easter egg in in their movies. <laughs> I love the Easter eggs in movies. I've been trying to find so many, and and I I had a list. I was like writing out. Oh, there's that, and there's that, and there's that. As, as the weather weenie in me trying to, you know, look up all, all these things in the movie. So that was one thing that I, I picked up immediately. And then I was like, wow, look at that yeah, for a split second. So, Jamie, one thing I was interested in was the underwater tornado escape at the end. 
I was thinking to myself, I haven't thought of that in the past. I didn't know if there was any documentation on somebody doing this or that you built off of or if it was just something that you imagined up. I was curious about that. So it's interesting. Um, I remember in the writing sessions with my co-writer, Annie, um, and we had another friend there who went to film school with us. Uh, His name's Michael Corbel. I'll give him credit for the idea because we were trying to, you know, we had pretty much the entire story mapped out, but we wanted like a pretty unique, original end piece to the whole thing. And you know, he came up again. His name's Michael Corbel. He's a he went to film school with us. He's like, well, what if they went into a pool? And I said, you know what? That's not a terrible idea. Like, is it been myth busted or something? And I looked it up. And listen, let's do research. It's probably not a great idea because one debris goes in the pool and debris heavy and it's, you're still going to get probably crushed and trust me if you type in pool and tornado you're going to see a lot of terrible looking scenes where the pool's just riddled with debris and cars and it's probably not a good idea but you know what i said you know it's a movie let's have a little suspense of you know disbelief and uh and that was that one i think is more myth and fictitious than than you know until proven otherwise i don't know well, I, I, it made me think, you know, from a, from a, from my standpoint, I'm thinking to myself, well, would that be safe? Well, obviously the truck falls into the pool. <laughs> um, so, so that's not a safe place to be in. Um, but I would think, Mike, if you think about this a minute, if you were deep enough. You probably could. It, it might be plausible because, you know, all the winds would be on the surface. I don't know how much actually would get kind of sucked into the tornado. I, I think you would have to do an experiment in some sort of, you know, controlled environment to, or maybe just like, I don't know, have a have a big pool set up in the middle of uh, Kansas and hope that a tornado runs through it and see like how much water gets kind of pulled out of the, 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 the pool. But hey, you know what? I mean, that's that's kind of a, maybe a future uh, uh, test down the road for some of these storm chasers. But um, but yeah, um, one thing I wanted to mention, um, there's a scene where um they actually leave bill brody in um in in the in the phone bo- or he, he goes and runs into the phone booth i should say because they they leave will sorry william brody yes yeah, william um they leave uh, he, you know they leave him uh, aside and he gets trapped in the phone booth and I, I thought that was a great scene because um you know the tornado basically passes right over and you can kind of see like you know he's like huddling in in fear hoping that the tornado doesn't just like suck him out of the uh the the phone booth how did that how did you film that and what was the inspiration to actually get that scene that scene was out of necessity so originally in the script it was more of a joplin style convenience store scene where everyone rushes into the convenience store and i believe that was there's a famous uh iphone footage a smartphone footage i think it was from joplin in 2011 you guys may, I, I may get the, the facts wrong on that, but I, it was supposed to be uh, William stays in the convenience store and they survive it by being on the inside of like the beer coolers. Um, and that just turned into a very expensive scene. More people, more extras, more damage, more scope to show more things falling down. And it just, this, this movie was so tight on money. You had to find different ways to, cut things in order to just be able to tell the story so 
I was like, well, what, what if there was a phone booth? Well, then I have literally a, a, a what a three by three foot like uh, set that I can control. That's brilliant because because I can control that. This doesn't must not cost anything. So the inspiration for that moment was really out of necessity that we needed to keep it contained. But once we got the phone booth, I mean, the phone booth is very special to me. I don't know if you know this, but you know Spielberg's first movie is called Duel. And in that movie, it's about a truck driver that's chasing a civilian. And, and it's really like man versus beast. We never see the truck driver, but he's like this, this indomitable force. And, and in one of the scenes... Is that where there's like not much dialogue at all? It's just... Absolutely. That's all that's going on the entire time? Yeah, it's, it's just this... Oh, I know it's exactly a cathartic what movie you're movie. talking about. It really, it really is a Spielberg movie because it's, it's really man versus beast. And, and there's a sequence where... The main character, uh, he's going into a phone booth to call the police, and it's it's a it's almost like uh, we replicated it. It's the same green looking phone booth that they have in that film with the with the um, with the flags with the colorful flags. And in that scene, the truck drives right into the phone booth. He has to jump out of the phone booth to not get run over. But I always thought, like, you know, the phone booth is so archaic because n- nobody uses that anymore. It's symbolic of kind of past technology. And the only places I see phone booths still are, are kind of in the Midwest. Well, obviously, they don't work. I mean, that, that sound effect where there was a dial tone, that, that might be not really believable. But it was fun because for a kid who's 17 years old, he thinks it's a shelter. What does he know from a shelter to a phone booth? You know, Of course, he, he realizes when it's too late. But that, that's kind of the story behind the phone booth. Wow, I thought it was a great scene, though. I mean, for for you saying you had you had to switch to uh, to this scene, I know it was kind of to for the budget budget wise, but I think it worked. Honestly, it probably would have worked way better than if you were in the the beer cooler because it just it shows you the raw power of the storm and and how like all all the nails and everything coming loose from from the phone booth and everything kind of almost it was like you're it was right about to 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 you know get destroyed and he just managed to to just at the nick of time to just you know be able to to, to the storm went by and he didn't get he didn't get harmed so it was amazing amazing scene yeah and i guess the last thing that i would want to touch on is the actual uh scientific instrumentation about the 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 radio waves or the the was it infrasonic uh detection that we're talking about mike i think you might have looked this up a little bit um to see what that was about yeah i so I'm I'm curious to get your take, Jamie, because I was actually I I had to do some research and look through and see, you know, like because I thought at the beginning of the movie when I when I saw this like contraption, I thought, okay, is this based on some sort of real like I had I did not know anything about it, and then I actually looked through and there's actually some uh, some studies and some uh, I guess papers that have been done about inf- infrasonic detection of tornado genesis, you know, like the, the the formation of a tornado based on infrasonic waves so can you talk a little bit how you got into that was from was it from the tesla conference or 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 what well you know i i it was it was a bunch of research so initially you know technology i mean we think back to twister right uh probes being put in front of the funnel hopefully the funnel hits the probes probes go up into the funnel and then data is recording recorded and, and I mean, that was pretty much implemented and, and think about one of the most prolific storm chasers, which was also a big inspiration for me in Tim Samaras, right? And Carl Jung, 
uh, Paul Samaras's son, which tragically, you know, they 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 were uh, killed in the uh, 2013 El Reno storm. Um, there was a lot. I, I I did research that man's life because you know he to me was one of the most heroic meteorologists out there. He 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 lost his life. He gave his life uh, for this uh, practice for this you know business and. You know, for me, you know, there, there's that element of, of him almost like this cowboy in the Midwest. Um, you know, he put his life on the line and, 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 you know, it cost him his life. And, you know, I, I know that he was a, a brilliant engineer and that probes, he was, he was really focused on these really interesting uh, probes that were kind of like this, uh, they had this like triangular shape to them so that they would remain on the ground and wouldn't fly out, you know, um, fly into into the air um so i think i i took uh you know that inspiration of okay well that was technology that kind of led us to about 2013 what's the latest technology uh that they're doing that advances storm uh forecasting and science and that's when uh through i think val caster uh introduced me to dr elbing um out of osu and this gentleman, he's a uh, he's PhD. He studies how infrasound, how the how the vibrations of the ground create this infrasonic sound that could be picked up from 10, 50 miles away. Because when that tornado starts to you know grind on the surface of the earth, it causes frequency shock, a wave. Um, and and so Val Castor actually had a device. It wasn't as Ghostbustery as the one that William uses, and it wasn't as per se like as simple as plugging in headphones. Again, it's a movie we took liberties, but the science behind it came from Dr. Elbing and and how infrasound is now being used to uh, track tornado genesis. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I don't know <laughs> if I've I've heard of that in the past, and it's it's great to learn new things about what's on the cutting edge of the of the storm chasing community and and the tornado research. Um, I don't know, Mike, I might have to go out and do some storm chasing. I, I, you guys got to come out. <laughs> I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. We don't have a lot of that here on the East coast. Uh, it's just, just too, too many, many hills and too many trees, uh, not a lot of flat <laughs> and too many snowstorms. That's true. I know. I know you're, I know the yeah. listeners won't be able to see that, but it's, it's pretty close Uh-oh. now. Yeah. That looks wow. like a decent storm right it's, there. It's still severe. It's, it looks like it's trying to get a yeah, hook going. A little bit of a. Little, maybe some rotation with it. Yeah, maybe. A little hook, maybe. We'll <laughs> wow. see. <laughs> Perfect timing Absolutely. for our podcast, I will say. I know. <laughs> um, well, Jamie, why don't you um, just give the listeners uh, a little plug about the movie, where where you can find it, and uh, basically anything you want to say about it. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's it's available March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, uh, on demand and, and on digital, basically with Apple TV or Roku or iTunes. You can rent or purchase the movie. Um, also, it's in select theaters. If you want to know where, you can see it on the big screen, which, by the way, it was built for the big screen. So I really highly recommend if you're in a town that has it showing uh, over the next week. Go see it. There's a list of theaters at supercellmovie.com. And uh, I really hope you guys enjoy it and uh, talk about it, share it with your friends, because uh, it's really for the weather community. Hopefully it'll inspire uh, new meteorologists to come. 
Right. And we'll, we'll put all the links in the show notes for everyone that's listening uh, to, to the podcast so you know where to go to find the movie if you have to. Yeah. So, All right, Jamie. Well, I really do appreciate you coming out on the Weather Lounge podcast. Thanks a lot. It's been really uh, a good time talking. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you, Mike and Mike. It was a pleasure. All right, and that's it for the Weather Lounge episode this week. Join us every two weeks for a new episode. And you can also find information on weatherworksinc.com about our company, Weatherworks, and all the social media channels out there. Just search for Weatherworks. You can find us. Um, But that is it for our show. So until next time, we'll see you then.